This is the Dallas Morning News. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're elevating how Texas banks. Texas Capital Bank. Member FDIC. TexasCapitalBank.com. Welcome to Sports State Cowboys, a podcast all about the Dallas Cowboys, brought to you by the Dallas Morning News. I'm Calvin Watkins. I'm Michael Gelkin. We're two Cowboys beat writers having a real talk conversation about the latest with the team. Today, we look ahead after the Chiefs' Super Bowl win over the Eagles. We have so many topics to talk about with so little time from the Super Bowl, the Combine, Michael Irvin, fatherhood, and more. Also, Kevin Sherrington, Dallas Morning News sports columnist and talented wordsmith. He joins the program. Sports Day Cowboys starts next. You have a three-year plan and a 30-year plan. At Texas Capital Bank, we've transformed our bank to offer solutions that will grow with you. From enhanced treasury management and corporate banking to personal banking and wealth management, we're dedicated to delivering the full-service support you need to secure the growth and success of your business. All from a full-service financial firm founded and headquartered in Dallas, Texas. Texas Capital Bank. Member FDIC. TexasCapitalBank.com. Welcome back to Sports Day Cowboys. And before we get going here, we owe you, our listeners, a little bit of a program update. This has been a weekly podcast since back in September. That's a lot of weekly podcast episodes. And now that the offseason's here, the Super Bowl behind us, we're going to somewhat adjust gears. So there'll be a hiatus from now to March 9th. So when we next speak, the combine in Indianapolis will be over. A lot to unpack. Uh, the window in which to place a franchise tag on a player, that's February 21st to March 7th, that also will have passed. So a lot to revisit before the March 13th start to free agency when we next circle back. So March 9th will be our next episode of Sports Day Cowboys. We'll miss you, Calvin. Oh, yeah, I miss you too. It's a lot of hiatuses going on around here, but we need it. Um, something happened at the Super Bowl, you know, that kind of caught us off guard. Uh, Hall of Fame wide receiver Michael Irvin um, got into a little bit of an incident at one of the hotels down there. He was kicked out of the hotel. Uh, A young lady accused him of something inappropriate. He was taken off the air by NFL Network. He was scheduled to go on ESPN, and they didn't put him on. And then Michael Irvin responded by filing a $100 million uh, lawsuit against uh, Jane Doe for defamation of character. And uh, this whole thing has just gotten off the rails, in a sense, to start the Super Bowl week. And and I know Michael Irvin a little bit, and he's a rambunctious guy, and he's had a lot of troubles away from the field that are well-documented, and he always talks about it. But Michael, um, Michael Gelkin, uh, you talked to Michael Irvin when this whole thing first started, and his attorney, just 
What do you think about all this? Yeah, Michael, when I spoke to him on the phone, it's probably about a 15-minute conversation, and he was pretty caught off guard about the whole thing. He seemed really unnerved and confused and kept on repeating. It was a 45-second conversation in the lobby. And ultimately, you know, it's a lawsuit against, as you said, Jane Doe against Marriott. This happened in the downtown Phoenix Renaissance Hotel, a Marriott property. And there is still so much that we are, are waiting to learn. I think in, all, in general, uh, separate from the Michael Irvin uh, specific situation, it's always just best to wait for more information to come. And I think right now you have two courts that are going on. You have the, the court in terms of Michael Irvin requesting a jury trial uh, because of uh, defamation, he says, as well as a wrongful interference in a business relationship. Those are what he alleges. Uh, but we also have the, the court of, of public opinion. And I think Michael Urban is certainly winning the court of public opinion. He was able to produce three witnesses that I know of, that I've spoken to, actually arranged these interviews uh, independent of, of this, this lawsuit, and independent of the attorney. Um, I, I reached out and, and was able to speak to these three witnesses who back Michael Irvin. Uh, but we don't know, or at least we have not seen uh, the surveillance footage, had it summarized uh, to me, but I haven't actually personally viewed it. And a lot of people haven't personally viewed it. We also haven't heard from the woman in terms of what specifically she accuses has happened here, and, as well as explanation that Marriott banned Michael Irvin from all of its properties. Is this just based on one single incident? Is there, is there, is there more than that? Uh, we, we just don't really know. What we do know is from having spoken with you know the Phoenix police, that there are no criminal complaints related to this, and yet such action from Marriott. So a lot we don't know. It is interesting. It, it is something that has captivated a lot of attention, and, and rightfully so. Uh, anytime it involves Michael Irvin and anytime it's just of this scale where someone who's supposed to be on television making several appearances isn't making a single one after his Monday night uh, opening night um, contribution to NFL Network's coverage. So we'll see. Uh, there's a lot to, un- to, to learn here, uh, Calvin. I think that's probably where my mind is most. It's just kind of waiting for more facts to, to, to come to light. Yeah, Michael's always been one of those guys that's always into something. Uh, I remember when the Super Bowl was in Miami years ago, Michael was taken off the air because of a of a, a sexual assault charge. Eventually he was cleared of that. So, you know, and we don't need to go over his whole history of all the transgressions. But uh, Michael, as I said, has always been a guy that's that's very visible in the community, in the media, and you know, obviously the hotel Marriott, you know, obviously they, they felt like this was, I don't know if they felt like this was a pattern of behavior with Michael at their hotels. I don't know, but it's it's pretty serious for them to, to say, you're not coming here, you know, ever. So, and, but I think also Michael fighting back the way he is, is also telling me that he feels like he didn't do anything wrong. You know, so I think that's the other part of it. Well, on the field, the, the new world champions are the Kansas City Chiefs. They defeated the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. It was a pretty entertaining Super Bowl. And I remember Michael Gelkin and I were talking about uh, this <laughs> Super Bowl, previewing it, and we were kind of like, ah, I don't know if we were just tired the day we taped 
or we're just tired of talking about the Eagles and Pat Mahomes, but it was a pretty good Super Bowl. And a couple of things to me played out. Uh, Pat Mahomes is, is, to me, the best quarterback in the league. I mean, no argument yeah, here. no argument. You know, that's number one. Uh, number two, Andy Reid, man, I think he put himself in the Hall of Fame with that with that victory right there. And number three, the NFL spent, I think, $800,000 or something like that, maybe 400000 on that football field, and it was atrocious. You know, yeah. that's, 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 this is your signature event. You got Rihanna dancing up there pregnant and you got a football field where it, it, we can find high school fields in Texas that were better than that. That was bad. I mean, and thank goodness no one got severely injured. And this is what the NFL PA has been talking about all season long. But uh, I, I, I enjoyed the Super Bowl. I don't know if you did, Michael, but I enjoyed it. I did. And you're right. I think uh, I was certainly leading the way in terms of when we talked last week about the Super Bowl, I was a little ho-hum about the whole thing. The fact <laughs> that maybe in hindsight, it was day one of my COVID uh, experience that probably had some influence in me being a little down and just in general, but it turned out to be a great game. I think the the defensive holding late, that was a defensive holding. It was a correct call, but it nonetheless took a lot of the drama out of the end of that game. And so it can only be so good of a game, I think, without a great finish. But otherwise, it was a great game. And Patrick Mahomes, after the way he was kind of limp jogging into that locker room at halftime, the way he was able to carry that Chiefs team in the second half, it spoke to how good Patrick Mahomes is, spoke to maybe how good those painkillers are, uh, whatever it was. Uh, I think I think just... You could appreciate greatness when you see it. You don't need to debate it. You don't need to question how good a guy is or isn't. You just know it when you see it. Patrick Mahomes is a great, great player. And let's not call the Chiefs a dynasty yet. Let's you know not put him and uh, Mahomes in the Mount Rushmore quarterbacks yet. But I, I tell you, it's it's pretty darn tempting to do so on the ladder. Uh, he's just arm talent, his athleticism, his competitive spirit, his poise, all those things. Um, he's he's as good as it gets right now in the NFL. Is lip jogging hyphenated or is it one word or two? I would uh, I would hyphenate that, um, Calvin. Okay. Just in case I see it next year, I want to make sure I got it right. Limp jogging. I'll try to work that in in a story next season. Hopefully it yeah. doesn't. Uh, yeah. That's good. Yeah. When you watch the Super Bowl as someone whose job is to focus on the Cowboys, to focus on one team, does your mind think about, boy, Cowboys couldn't do that or Cowboys aren't built like that? Like, Do you, do you naturally create like a comparison between the two, like, oh, that, that's the difference between why these guys are playing on Sunday and why the Cowboys are, are sitting on their couch watching the commercials with the rest of us. I've been thinking that since 2006 when my first year on the Cowboys beat. Like, this is why they're not here. Um, the Chiefs and the Eagles have, I, I would say, elite quarterbacks. I would say Jalen Hurts is the elite quarterback. I don't know if he's top five, but he's definitely top ten maybe. I don't know if that's fair. But – Dak Prescott, based on what we saw, maybe he's 11-12. I don't know. But I would say the biggest difference in that game was quarterbacking and coaching. The Chiefs made a major adjustment in the second half. And I saw Eric Bieniemy. He was in the locker room. He's the Chiefs offensive coordinator. And someone said, what did you do differently in the second half? And he said, we just do what we do. He had a cliche answer. We just executed. We finished our plays. But they, there were some adjustments there. 
you know, the Eagles, I think, blitzed 33% of the time in that ballgame, most of them they ever had in the last five or six games, and they couldn't get to Pat Mahomes, and that man's got one leg. That tells you a little bit about him, you know. And the holding call is what it is. To me, if, if you're going to call that, make that call in the first minute of the game, then you should call it in the last minute of the game. But if you're not going to call it when the game is going on, then you damn sure better not call it with the game on the line in the fourth quarter, you know. Um, but I will say this about the Eagles. Remember we talked about the in-season moves that they made, Dominican Sue, Linville Joseph. Mm-hmm. I thought they were kind of, you know, like ghosts in that game. I couldn't find them. I don't know if you saw them, but I think Sue committed a penalty in that game. But that was the other big difference is that their in-season moves, the Eagles, did not match up in the biggest game of the season. And I mentioned that because the Cowboys in-season moves, T.Y. Hilton, Jonathan Hankins, you know, they were, ah, they were all right. You know, they were okay. They had their moments, but not as much as the Eagles in-season moves that got them to the biggest stage in the league. Kadarius Toney, the wide receiver that the Chiefs acquired mid-season mm-hmm. from the Giants, that, I mean, talking about a pickup that paid dividends that game, uh, what he was able to provide not only in offense, but on special teams with that punt return. So, yeah, I think I, I was thinking about when I was watching the game, you know, looking at running backs who are on their rookie contracts or running backs who aren't, you know, if you're going to have a, you know, those two teams are different in terms of Jalen Hurts is on his rookie contract, which makes a, a building a team around him a lot easier. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is not on his rookie contract. Well, he's not. <laughs> They're not paying a whole lot for running backs there. Isaiah Pacheco, I'm pretty sure, was a seventh-round pick. And so, to me, fast you know, taking that and applying it, moving it forward to the Cowboys, when you have a, a, set, a quarterback on his second contract in Dak Prescott, a quarterback getting paid $40 million a year, I just I don't know how you pay any running back top dollar when you're putting that much money to the quarterback position. And so it'll be fascinating because the next time that we talk in March, have the Cowboys placed a franchise tag on Tony Pollard? And if so, and we love Tony Pollard to pieces, and we, we, we think he's been underutilized, and we've talked about Pollard a lot. I just don't know if giving a lot of money to a running back at the same time you're giving a lot of money to your quarterback – as you're trying to piece together uh, an improved wide receiver core, to me, makes a whole lot of sense. Well, the, the franchise tag would be $10 million if they franchise Pollard, correct? Which counts all against your cap for this yes. coming year. Yeah, yes. it's not like you can spread that out. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no, right. So I guess, I guess if you look at it in a, in a broader sense, you're saying, okay, we're going to give Tony Pollard $10 million for the 2023 season in comparison to twenty-five, thirty million million over the next two seasons if we extend them. You know what I'm saying? So let's take this $10 million hit because you're going to cut Zeke Elliott. You know, I think that's a given. You know, forget the pay cut and all that. He's got to go. So you got to restructure some contracts. You got to create the space. I just think you do give him the $10 million. I'm not extending him. But there was something you wrote about this week. Um, you had questioned whether or not the Cowboys should extend the contract of a certain starting cornerback. And just tell the people your thoughts about Trayvon Diggs and whether or not he deserves some more paychecks down the line from the Dallas football Cowboys. 
You know, I think it's a it's a question. So the Cowboys haven't given a proactive extension to a player since they did it three times in a two week period during the 2019 summer. Mm-hmm. They gave a big contract to Jalen Smith. They gave a big contract to Lyle Collins, and they gave a big, oh, brutal contract to Ezekiel Elliott. All three of those proved to be regrettable. All three of those really hamstrung the Cowboys in terms of their salary cap and continue to this day to hamstring the Cowboys in their salary cap. Well, Collins is going to cost a lot of money against the 2023 cap. Zeke Elliott, whether or not he's on the roster or off the roster, he's going to count a lot of money against the salary cap. And so it's important to be, if you're a draft and develop organization, to take care of your guys, to beat the market, to get ahead of these deals before they become free agents and and pay, pay them big money in terms of their second contracts. But you've got to get it right. You've got to make sure that this is a player who is going to come through, going to be a core guy for you, and not someone who you're going to try to separate from in a couple years' time, the way that the Cowboys found themselves with those other three. And I am not making a a statement one way or the other. I'm laying the groundwork for what's a big decision ahead with Trayvon Diggs. It's a big decision coming up with a number of guys uh, Uh in terms of that 2020 rookie class, Terrence Steele, right tackle. I, I mean, I feel comfortable saying everything that we know about Terrence Steele, a guy who wins the weight room awards each year, and the way that Zach Martin and others talk about him, the way he, what he means to the run game when you see him when he's off on the field versus on the field. Uh, that, to me, is, is, a, is a blinking light of a guy that you pay, despite the ACL tear. To me, you pay that guy this offseason. Uh, but, you know, Tyler Biotish, you know, you kind of, the list goes on of this 2020 class. But when it comes to Diggs, who is probably going to go for about $20 million or so a year, <laughs> a lot of money and we we know the ball skills i believe it's 17 interceptions since 2020 which is tied for the nfl league so his ball skills are unquestioned now some of the physicality i think in the buccaneers game and he whiffed on a tackle and george buccaneers Kittle. game how about all season that's not fair i think he, i actually thought his physicality this year was better than it was last year and, and I, I could show you film examples where i think Diggs held his own it's tough when you're a cornerback in the open field setting the edge and there's a 315 pound offensive lineman pulling in your direction and so I think some of it's just the realities of his position where he's not a hard-hitting state if you're expecting your cornerback to be running a 4-3 to have excellent ball skills and to be a heavy hitter who can bring the wood like Donovan Wilson good luck finding that prototype and so he's not a perfect player which is worth highlighting as part of this conversation but it's also you have to be somewhat grounded with it and then um you know i think also the fact that you know if you're talking about the leaders of the defense trayvon Diggs isn't a leader of a defense maybe he leads by example because he can produce certainly at times uh, more often than not but he's quiet player to his own acknowledgement I and mean, he's he's a borderline recluse in the cowboys locker room in their db room and so He's not someone who really actively makes guys around him better. And so it's just part of the themes as you kind of piece together a profile. And all I said in the story, and I'll say here, is it's a good thing Dan Quinn is coming back into your building, as he has, because it really helps to make these sort of decisions that can have devastating consequences against your salary cap if you get them wrong. It helps having a guy like Dan Quinn, who not only is a mastermind chef in terms of getting a defense in place in, in the schematic kitchen, but he, he knows how to pick the groceries, too. And so let him have an active voice in the conversation as it pertains to Trayvon Diggs in his future. 
I, I will say this, and I want to go to something else real quick, but it's called tackle football. So I, I just need my cornerbacks to tackle a little bit. And and I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch the film of the Pro Bowl because the Pro Bowl was a flag football extravaganza. And I just want to know how many flags Trayvon Diggs pulled in that game. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But you know. With the next gen stats crew on, on that, and we'll inform <laughs> the, the Cowboys front office immediately. All right. Up next, making his Sports Day Cowboys debut, Dallas Morning News columnist Kevin Sherrington coming up. You have a three year plan and a 30 year plan. At Texas Capital Bank, we've transformed our bank to offer solutions that will grow with you. From enhanced treasury management and corporate banking to personal banking and wealth management, we're dedicated to delivering the full-service support you need to secure the growth and success of your business. All from a full-service financial firm founded and headquartered in Dallas, Texas. Texas Capital Bank. Member FDIC. TexasCapitalBank.com. All right, one of the best writers and people, not only in the state of Texas, but across the country, across the globe, joins us now. We've been trying to get Kevin Sherrington on our podcast for such a long time, but he's such a busy man doing, I don't know what he's doing, but Kevin Sherrington joins us. Hi, Kevin. Wow, after an introduction like that, I wish I'd come on a lot sooner. You know, <laughs> man, I could use that kind of uh, affirmation a little more often. I don't get much of that around the house here. You know, I'm just as a matter of fact, I, that other podcast that we do at the morning news, I was doing that this morning and my wife came in right in the middle of it and said, hey, you need to go, you know, help your daughter out at this place. And it's like I'm motioning to her, you know, I'm I'm doing a podcast here. Can't, can't <laughs> we just can't we just do this and I'll handle that later? It's like, wow. Yeah. Kevin, you seem like a lover of words, a lover of sentences. It kind of shines through your writing. It, it, you're, you're just extremely talented. Writer respects writer. Game respects game. How do you feel like you, before we talk Cowboys, because this is a Cowboys podcast, how do you feel like you found your voice as a, as a writer, your, your process to achieve that? Well, you know, I, I, I'm still trying to get over uh, Calvin's introduction, and now we're running over into Michael's. This is like too much for me. It's like <laughs> Valentine's Day overdose. Uh, I, I I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, you know, listen, I I grew up reading newspapers, uh, reading books. I'm, I'm I'm a big reader, and I think you'd be a to be a good writer, you have to be a a good reader, and uh, and so um, I've always been interested. Uh, it is uh, a struggle to find your own voice, and, and I have uh, tried to experiment with things over the years. You know, uh, I was always the type, especially when I was a feature writer, and I was that for a long time. I was a beat writer for about you know 12 years, different kinds of beats, and then I was a feature writer for about another 12 years uh, and uh, before I became a columnist in 2000, and those are, you know, different things, right? You know, uh, as a beat writer, we, we, we stay out of the way. Even as a feature writer, I tried to stay out of the way as much as possible, although sometimes I would kind of interject myself if I felt like it was necessary to further the narrative or whatever I was writing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, having uh, read so many Texas sports writers and so many great Texas sports writers, um, sometimes you, you uh, can't get them out of your head. In this market, that, of course, is Blackie Sherrod. Uh, I 
always had him in my head a little bit and I'm a pretty good mimic and I can, I can do those things and those people. Um, and as a matter of fact, I consider myself such an expert on them that this summer I'm going to go to Houston and interview Mickey Herskowitz, who is the last of that generation of sports writers. Uh, I grew up reading Mickey in Houston, the old Houston post, uh, a tremendous storyteller. Um, uh, I consider him up there on my Mount Rushmore. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, reveal that yet. I'm going to write a column uh, with my Mount Rushmore of Texas sports writers. You can probably guess a couple of them, and obviously Mickey's going to be on there. I may have one surprise. You got me on there, right, because I'm like a dinosaur like you, right? Well, you're a dinosaur, but unfortunately you, you come from New York. It's like, <laughs> no, I'm not counting you. I'm sorry. You know, you got to be got to be a Texan through and through. You're, 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 I'm giving you a Texan now, but, but you know, your, your roots are just – unfortunately damaged. And so mm, therefore, that's true. Can't you, know, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got uh, when I became a beat writer at More News, you gave it to me. And you had told me if someone tells you something, if you're chasing a story or whatever it is, and you don't believe them, keep reporting until the facts come out in terms of they're right or you're right. Keep, keep reporting, keep talking to people. And I never forgot that. And that's probably why I try to talk to as many people as possible for a story, whether it's a long story or even a short story. And, and you had been a columnist, I think for a little bit at the morning news when I first got there. So I always, always remember that. And, uh, and all the other advice you've given me, like, you know, Michael's about to be, become a dad and, 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 you know, my son, I had dropped him off at college and me and you had shared a moment in the press box. And and I wish you could tell Michael what it's like to be a dad, especially a new dad. You know what I'm saying? Because I think he, he, I think Michael would be a good dad. You know, he's got a dry sense of humor. You know, uh, I could easily frazzle him so I can see how a little kid would, a little baby would frazzle him. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> You're especially good at frazzling me. Yeah, well, I've got four kids. Um, they range uh, from uh, 30, uh, let's see, 30, I guess Jake will be 32 years this year. So he's 31 and the youngest is 25, uh, two boys, two girls. Uh, and um, uh, they were uh, center points of, uh, of my life and my wife's life, Debbie, uh, who, by the way, uh, for people who don't know, I met Debbie at the Dallas Morning News. She was the office manager uh for the sports department. Uh, she ran that zoo. And, uh, and then uh, shortly after that, we got married. So it's pretty cool. So I, I, I owe a lot to the Dallas morning news, uh, specifically my family. Uh, but for, uh, for Michael, yeah, you can tell people who are going to be good parents and uh, they're the people that uh, their children matter to them. Right. Uh, people, a lot of people give lip service to that and what is important. And everybody will say that they love their families. Right. But you, but you show how much you love your family by how much time you dedicate to them. I never believe there's any such thing as quality time. Uh, it's just time. Um, who, who knows what, what quality really is? You know, to a child, quality is when they turn around when they need you and you're there. Uh, and then sometimes there's things that, that prevent that and, and, and there's no way to get around it. Uh, my father was a tremendous role model as a man. Uh, everything that I believe in, as a, as a man, uh, and as a person, uh, 90% of it came from my father. Uh, but, um, I've said more 
in this podcast that my father said to me my entire life. Uh, <laughs> of course, he died when I was 22, uh, but um, he was just a very quiet man. Uh, just just never really had much to say. So everything was a mystery to me. You know, I'm I'm trying to figure out what does all this mean? You know, what, uh, what does he really think about me? What does he what does he think about my life? What does he think I'm going to do? Uh, you know, I don't I don't know any of these things. And so I have overcorrected with my children and they will tell you that, that they, I just beat them down with the stuff that I'm telling them all the time in a way. Um, but I just think it's important that, that they know how much I love them and how much they mean to me and how great I think that they are. Uh, so those are all important things. That's awesome. And I appreciate you saying all that. And I'm definitely listening with full, you know, attention before our daughter's born in early April is that's a due date. And I, all I know is, is, is it's a, it's a game changer. Uh, I don't need to experience it to know it yet. I, I kind of know what's coming in that respect. And I've no doubt that who I am as a, as a sports writer, as a reporter, as a professional will irrevocably be changed because I pour a lot into the job, but there's no way I'm going to wake up in 50 years and look 40 years and look back at my career and feel like, wow, I, I accomplished a lot, but I wasn't there for my daughter or I wasn't there for, you know, whatever it may be. And so I'm going to have to sacrifice someplace to make time work. And it's going to come off this end because it has to. And so that adjustment is something that I think my wife is like curious to see just because she only <laughs> knows my speed when it comes to work. And I'm pulling all nighter to write a, you know, a lawn story, or I'm waking up at 5am to watch game film or make cutups of ath- you know, players who are about to get cut in the preseason. It's just all these things that I, I I've done that probably can't continue the same because they really can't, if I'm going to be the type of father that I need to be and I want to be. Well, you just have to be more efficient with your time. That's the big thing. Yeah. You have to be efficient, but I will also say in, in a, in a business sense, you got to put food on the table and this is a job of inconvenience and there will be times you will miss stuff with your kids because the job pays the bills, you know? So I think we've all been there where we want to do something with our kids and we couldn't because DeMarcus Ware broke his leg or something and we had to go chase that story, you know, because that pays the bills around here. So, um, and that's why we ripped DeMarcus Ware. That's why we ripped DeMarcus Ware. Yeah. No. <laughs> Congratulations to DeMarcus Ware Hall of Famer. Buddy. That's right. He is the best. You know, I want to ask you both this question because I was in Phoenix when Dak Prescott was named the NFL's Walter Payton Man of the Year, and it kind of threw me off guard because I was on Ooh. Denver. Oh, sorry. That was an Eagles fan for a second. Oh, Go ahead. Oh, yeah. That's okay. It's okay. And um, I wrote this piece a couple of days after he uh, Dak had won it that let's ignore the interceptions and all the stuff that he's upset about losing Keller Moore and appreciate the type of guy he is. Cause he is a really good guy, but ultimately this is a business. Dak Prescott, you got to do something the next year, bro, uh, to take this team to the next level. Is that fair? Sure. It's fair. I mean, I, that's, uh, someone suggested a story I did to me the other day that uh, about Dak and saying, well, yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, and then they were talking about Kyrie Irving and they said, so what is, what is the thing here? What do we what do we do here? Do we uh, do we put too much into how good an athlete is and and then forgive things we we shouldn't forgive? And then we're too critical of guys who are really good people, but they come up short on the field. And 
And it's and I and I told him, I said, well, you know, yeah, we make those kind of decisions all the time, and we and we unless something is really egregious, we almost always favor the side of the guy who can play or the person who can play, right? Because look, there are all kinds of good people out there. They're all you, you hear all the time somebody will say, Well, these guys are really hard worker. You hear that about Dak. It's like I can go out and find you a hard worker, you know. <laughs> uh I, I, what you need to have is a guy who's got talent and a guy who can lead this team. And I think that Dak can lead this team. I think he does lead it. You know, he's he's a, he leads by example. He's he's uh you know, he's everything you want in a quarterback. We've heard uh Roger Staubach say that, we've heard that Troy Eggman said that. Everything you want in a quarterback, he is right there for it. Now on the football field and the skill level. And, and I thought he obviously took a step back this season. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure why that was. I don't know what was going on in his head. Uh, I don't know why he felt like he had to do some of the things that he did, uh, but there were mistakes made. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you just can't make them. It's, it's like the Super Bowl, right? Uh, I had somebody who wrote me and said, that, uh, his message on his email was uh, Dak who, and then underneath it, in the body, he said, look what, uh, this is what two Super Bowl quarterbacks look like, you know, in this game. And I said, yeah, except for the one who who dropped the ball and, and turned it into a touchdown for the other team and cost them the Super Bowl, <laughs> you know, as, as great as Jalen Hurts played in that game. He doesn't make that mistake. Maybe they win, you know. So uh, you just simply cannot make those kinds of mistakes. And uh, that's the thing that, that Dak has got to figure out. And they have got to figure out a way to get him back to being the kind of quarterback he used to be, which was a guy who, uh, you know, who always struck me, especially early in his career, not just that that rookie season, which was so phenomenal, was the fact that I, I'm just going to throw it to the guy who's open. I'm not going to try to force anything here. You know, Tony Romo would throw that 50-50 ball to, to Des Bryant all the time, right? Because he had confidence that Des was going to do that. And that's Tony's nature. He's a gambler. He, he liked to do that kind of thing. And more often than not, it worked. Uh, I think the reason why Des didn't work with Dak was that he'd lost a little of his ability by that time as well, but he simply wasn't going to do that. He's not going to throw the ball to, to, to Des thinking that, oh, he'll he'll come up with this ball somehow. And that's why Cole Beasley became such a uh, much larger part of the offense because he was always open. It was that, that Dak knew where he was going to be and he knew he was going to be open, so therefore I'll just throw the ball to him. I wish that that uh that Dak could go back to that model just just find the guys that are open don't try to force things uh here and i do think it would help a lot if if people would run the right routes and they and they would fight for the ball you know michael gallup you know and and come back to the ball do the things you're supposed to do as a wide receiver and help this guy out a little bit i think there's one unanswered question about Dak still at this stage in his career. It's almost 30 years old. I think when you're talking about, because now we're in draft season, player evaluation, and you're trying to, if you're an evaluator of talent, get a feel for a player. And what you're trying to get a feel for is, I guess, two things, to simplify it maybe a little bit. One, what is this player's ceiling? How good does he have the potential of being? And then two, what's his mental makeup in terms of is he willing to put in what needs to be put in to actually reach that ceiling? And I think Dak, more than any player I can think of that I've been around, he answers that second question. However good Dak 
is can be. He's not afraid of of committing himself and working to that. He has the work ethic. He has you know all the in terms of leadership qualities too. He, he he's got all of that as a quarterback and as as a as an athlete. Um, he he puts it in what needs to be put in. But the question still is, what is his ceiling? How good can he be? Because at this stage of his career, I mean, he kind of already should be pretty darn close to that with all the work that he's put in. And so I think that's a real question. And if he doesn't answer it emphatically this season, I don't know with with the new coaching staff in in large part around offense, I don't know what there is still to see at some point you are what you are. And he really did not rise to the occasion uh, this past season, not all on him. Cowboys needed to do more around him. And so we'll see this off season, but I think that's the big question on on Dak is what is his ceiling? But uh, you look at Patrick Mahomes uh, and how great he is. Uh, that's that's a level to which uh, you'd be hard pressed saying uh, with a straight face that Dak can get to that level. He, he already should be there by now if he was going to be. Well, I think first of all, it's ridiculous for anybody to say that he should rise to Patrick Mahomes' level. Patrick Mahomes yeah. was the tenth pick of, the, of his draft, right? And and mm-hmm. Dak was a fourth rounder, and there were reasons for that. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has put himself in the conversation for the top half dozen quarterbacks in NFL history now. So um, no, he's not going to be that. And and you know that's like you know people who would, who would write me and say, you're not as good as Blackie Sherrod. It's like, no, I'm not. You know, <laughs> Blackie Sherrod is the king of Texas sports writers. You know, it, it, you, you shouldn't be held to those kind of standards. If, you're, if that's not your talent level, then why, why are we holding people to those standards? I don't like it when people say that. He's not going to rise to that level. He's not going to rise to the talent level of Aaron Rodgers either, you know, or, or, or from what I can tell so far, Joe Burrow, I think has more talent. I think Josh Allen has more talent. I think Justin Herbert has more talent. I think that uh, that those guys are all clearly the top of the uh, of the NFL. And uh, but I do think that Dak can be uh, right at nine or ten, and that's good enough. That's good enough to get you in a Super Bowl. There have been mm-hmm. much worse quarterbacks who have taken teams to Super Bowls. Um, so I think it's incumbent upon the Cowboys to come up with a plan that ma- that makes it more. Uh, it makes it easier for him to, to lead that team. You know, we, we talk about personnel, and, and I do think that it would be good for the personnel to be better around him. But I love what Nick Sirianni did with Jalen Hurts last year, right? Halfway through the season, it's not working. And so he said, well, let's tailor this thing better to, to what Jalen Hurts does best. And and then that's what they did. And and that's what, to me, is, is the difference between great coaching and just good coaching, is that let's figure out what is best for the personnel that we have. Uh, and if this is our franchise quarterback, if we're if we're tied to this guy for at least two more years, then I think there should be some questions about that, whether you really want to extend that and go any further than that, because this next year will be pivotal to me. If if Dak has another season like this one, there's no reason for him to to be signed to an extension in my mind. I, I just don't I, I, I don't think so. I, then, then, the, then we will see that, well, this was not a fluke this year. Then we'll see that something has happened with this guy. And he's not the quarterback that they 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 thought he was. Uh, I think he can get back to what he was before. Uh, he showed that in that game against Tampa Bay. He played great in that game. He did everything. Probably the best game of his career. And uh, so I, I think he has the ability to certainly be a a good quarter, a really good quarterback, uh, the kind of quarterback who can take you to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. Can he carry the team like Patrick Mahomes did? No. Uh, Patrick Mahomes lost Tyreek Hill a guy who was in the conversation this year for MVP and you never knew it, right? Mm-hmm. Dak loses uh, Amari Cooper 
a guy who's a, a nice receiver, but he's certainly not in that kind of conversation. And we're all like, oh, my gosh, what a disaster that was <laughs> letting Amari Cooper go. Well, it's because Dak's not able to lift a team like that. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to really knock him for that. That's, he's a, he was a fourth-round quarterback for a reason. And I, I, we can say about the money, he should be making $40 million a year and all of that. I think what we're going to see here in a couple of years is that $40 million is going to look not so bad. You know, mm-hmm. the, the price of quarterbacks always goes up. I don't think it's going to be so terrible in the end unless he flames out here in the next year or two. The interesting thing that's happening is that Jalen Hurts, who was a second-round pick, it might be better than Dak right now. You know, and Dak's been in the league seven years. And, you know, Jalen just got in the league in, in uh, I think, 2020. So, and, I, and I'm sure a lot of Cowboys fans are looking at that to say, this guy just showed up and he's already better than our guy. But there's one thing I want to segue to was I, I can't remember the last time I've had you, Kevin Sherrington, and Tim Kalashar, other columnists, respond so uh, – I don't, I don't, I'm not even going to say negatively, but so emotionally by what you heard from Jerry and Stephen Jones from the Senior Bowl about all the things they said about, hey, you know, like Jerry was talking about, the 49ers have won a Super Bowl in 27 years too, you know? And, you know, the draft and develop is is what they want to go by and how the, the Rams went, all, went, went, went for it all and gave up all their draft picks. And now they missed the playoffs the next season and how Jerry's bashing that. And just the fact that they they were open to you know giving Dak an extension, and how they're open to saying, hey, let's bring Zeke back possibly. Let's you know what about the eye test? Hey, but you know there's a lot of other things that goes into that. So I wonder if the Jones family, specifically Stephen and Jerry Jones, are off their rockers right now because it seems as if this whole thing has gone off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can broaden that to more than just right now, couldn't we? Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've asked some other people uh, that uh, are close to the organization. Surely they're not serious about bringing Zeke back, are they? And 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 they're not positive. They think they're just that the Joneses are just being nice. You know, it's like we just want to show some respect to Zeke for everything he's meant to the organization and all that. And and, and I get all that because Zeke has been a, a great player. And he's been a great teammate and all that kind of stuff. Got no rings. Got no he's rings. Got no, well, it's just, it's just ridiculous to think even about bringing him back. You know, uh, for that matter, and I may write a column about it later on this week, you know, the B. John Robinson of Texas, uh, if he's available in the first round when they pick, uh, I think they ought to have a conversation about that. You know, I'm not usually keen on drafting a running back in the first round because then you're reluctant to give him a second uh, contract it's a little different if you're drafting 26th than if you're drafting fourth, like the Cowboys were when they took Zeke. But you know, you got to think about the fact that you got Tony Pollard and he's coming off a serious injury and he's going to be making some pretty serious cash this year if he's healthy. Uh, you could save some money in the in the short term by by drafting a, a running back like that. And and I think that I think that most scouts will tell you that Bijan is a you know I don't know if he's a generational running back, but he's really good. Uh, and he could be a lot of the things that those guys are combined with. But even if you didn't want to do that, there are other running backs you can find in the draft, you know, second, third, fourth round. But for Jerry to say, you know, uh, these ridiculous things about the Eagles, you know, uh, and, and then about the Rams and the 49ers, you should just say, Jerry should just say, hey, congratulations to the Eagles for getting where they are. They did a, they did a tremendous job. I, I give them all the, all the best and wish them luck. 
And the, the worst thing that could have happened, though, is that the, the Eagles losing. As somebody pointed out to me uh, yesterday, maybe if the Eagles had won a Super Bowl, their second one in, what, the last six years, then maybe Jerry would have said maybe would cause him to question a little bit of what they're doing. Although, you know, I don't know why I would, I would think that after, you know, 34 years of Jerry <laughs> crazy stuff. So I don't think he questions anything, really. Yeah. Well, awesome. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Fatherhood, writing, Cowboys. Uh, we, we could have talked to you all day. So uh really appreciate but you. People would not have listened all day. That's the that's the thing, though, Michael. But I Disagreed. appreciate it very much. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> Great to be on with you guys. Anytime. I'm always here. All right. Before we take a break, we'll answer a listener's question next. Hey, listeners. This is Damon Marks. I'm the Cowboys editor for the Dallas Morning News. That includes the Sports Day Cowboys podcast that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is the nonstop news cycle that is the Dallas Cowboys. But beyond that daily adrenaline rush... Being able to reveal the human side of the players you watch on TV is a privilege. Calvin and Michael talk to these players each week to bring you the behind-the-scenes stories that you can't get anywhere else. If you want to support this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com slash listen. Kevin Sherrington is always great to talk to about a lot of different things, whether it's writing, fatherhood, sports. I don't even know what he eats, but he's always the best. The best in the business is what he does. And you know who's also great? The people. And we got our people, our listeners, they send us questions every week. So we got one. Michael, who we got? This is from Nick Hooper, and it begins... Great podcast, which is a fantastic way to have your podcast question be read on the podcast is to compliment the podcast. I have a question about the Cowboys front office's approach last year. Do you think that the front office treated this past season as a reloading year and got caught with their pants down when the team was as good as it was? As a result, they had to scramble in the middle of the season to get more weapons for the offense. For most of the offseason, it felt like they were proactively taking a step back on the hope that players would develop for a 2023 run. How else do you explain trading away Amari and trying to replace his production with a player coming off ACL surgery in February, James Washington, and a third-round rookie? Regards, Nick Hooper. Calvin, do you think the Cowboys treated this as a reloading year and were ended up being better than they expected going into it? No, uh, I would say no. Uh, Jerry Jones was asked, do you regret cutting Amari Cooper? And he said, no, I do not regret um, cutting Amari, excuse me, trading Amari Cooper because they had $20 million that they were able to bring back home and they distributed to their in-season moves. That's what Jerry Jones said, that we can debate whether or not he's crazy. Yes, Michael Gelkin, Dallas Morning News. Raising my hand. I know this isn't a video podcast, but I appreciate you seeing me, Calvin. Yes, sir. That is such that's such cr- crap from, <laughs> from Jerry. Okay, because I, I, I know this contract. I've looked at it since the moment it became available after the Cowboys signed him to it in 2020. And yes, Amara Cooper was scheduled to earn 20, was it 20? No, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it wrong. It was $20 million this, this coming season. It's yeah. $20 million. Yeah. It's pretty simple, and you could do – the Cowboys, in order to keep Amari Cooper and reduce that number, 
they could have just done what the Cleveland Browns did pretty much immediately after they acquired Amari Cooper and just take that big $20 million salary, turn a whole lot of it into signing bonus, and you can spread that across the salary cap in terms of up to five years. And so you're talking about a $20 million contract that really becomes a fraction of that amount if the Cowboys were intent on having Amari Cooper on their roster 2022 and beyond. And the simple fact of the matter is they weren't that into him. They, they just didn't believe in him. They felt like, uh, yeah, he's a nice player, but we can you know allow CeeDee Lamb to rise in this offense and we can find some of his production elsewhere by having Michael Gallup coming off the ACL do more. And we could have this rookie third round pick and Jalen Tober, who we think is ready to contribute you know, they were wrong. Jerry admitted that they that they asked too much out of Jalen Tolbert. He did admit that. Yeah, and that's fine because because they did. But the whole idea that Amari Cooper was going to count twenty million dollars in salary and that's and it was prohibitive is a real half truth. Because yeah, that was what the salary was scheduled to be. But you can renegotiate salaries. You don't even need to call Amari Cooper's agent and let him know you're doing it. You can just do it because it's a simple restructure. Like the CBA allows you to do that. And so it's very, very easy. It's very, very procedural. And the Cowboys didn't want to do that because it would have tied them to Amari Cooper and they just didn't like him enough to be be comfortable with that. That was what it was about. Now, saying that, say they would have kept Amari, say they would have moved $18 to sign the bonus and gave him a $2 million base or whatever they would have done. The fifth-year option for C.D. Lamb, if you make two Pro Bowls, he's going to get $19 million in his fifth year. Now, say you have Amari Cooper on your team. I don't know if C.D. gets to the Pro Bowl. So that $19 million might not be with C.D. Lamb. However, they made a, a critical mistake in getting rid of Amari Cooper. I didn't think the compensation was good in terms of what they got back from Cleveland. So this was a terrible mistake. They signed James Washington in free agency, and I think the man was on the field for like 10 plays the whole season. Uh, I've been bashing him. He's had two bad feet the whole year. One foot was hurt in offseason. The other foot was hurt in training camp. Both feet were hurt during the regular season. And then he, the first pass they throw to the man, he drops. So that was a major mistake. Cavante uh, Turpin is a returner, and Stephen Jones was talking about this guy is going to be the next – Eric Metcalf or something, and they threw. I lost a two dollar bet with Michael saying he was going to get a pass all year, and he got a pass <laughs> in an overtime game, I think. And then he got the last. Then he made. Then he caught the last ball of the whole season on some ridiculous play in the loss to the forty uh, to the forty niners. But anyway, this whole off season, this last off season, I should say, was just a disaster for the Cowboys, and that this off season they got a lot of work to do. Because the national media talks a lot about the Cowboys as if they're this close to winning a Super Bowl. And those of us who cover the team on a daily basis, we know they're not this close to win a Super Bowl. They are this close to winning a Super Bowl. Far (laughs) away. Because they got a quarterback, Michael, who we've been bashing. Oh, yeah, David Moore said the man was erratic, and that, that upset Dak Prescott. You know, they got a running back who played with one leg and, and Zeke Elliott. You know, they got they need now I want to ask you something. As much as we love the offensive line, what do you do with Tyron Smith? 
Is he a swing tackle? Is he a starting right tackle? What do you do with him? I think it's a fascinating conversation, and it's one of those questions that I'm eager to get an answer on, hopefully at the Combine. like When we next speak, hope to have a better feel for where the Cowboys are leaning there because Terrence Steele, he's your starting right tackle when healthy, and the Cowboys mm-hmm. expect him to be ready for the start of training camp with the ACL uh, tear that he suffered uh, late in the season. Um, so you're going to have him back, and then Tyler Smith – I mean, if he's your left tackle of the future, hard to, de- to defer that future. What's what's the wait? And so, uh, obviously, we saw Tyler Smith play left guard as well. So that versatility gives the Cowboys an option. But can you really trust Tyron Smith to be your week one left tackle and expect him to be there in the playoffs? No, you, you can't. I think we've, we've gotten past the point of whether or not it's even a question. So what the, what the Cowboys do there, I don't know. It'd be a very high price swing tackle. But we will. We'll, we'll, that's that's something at the combine in Indianapolis. I'm, I'm actively going to try to find out. And when we do return after a hiatus, we will hopefully have some answers, a little bit of insight, because Jerry Jones at the combine he always talks to the media on the bus. Now, last year he did not talk to the media on the bus. He had a little domestic situation going on. Hopefully, this year his domestic situation is settled, and then we can get the man on the bus so we can talk to him. Well, Michael, that's all the time we've got for Sports Day Cowboys. And I want to tell everyone, thank you so much for listening. This episode is produced by Damon Marks. You can find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. And you'll have a special membership offer there just for listeners. Michael, don't forget to tell everybody once again, we'll be back March the 9th, right? March the 9th. That's the date, March 9th. March the 9th. Now, check this out. Before we come back March the 9th, you can email us your questions or voice memos around the combine at dmncowboys at dallasnews.com. You can also ping us directly on Twitter at dmn underscore cowboys and on Facebook at Cowboys Fan Central. Michael, I'm Calvin Watkins. And I'm Michael Gelkin. We'll see you in a few weeks. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.